Welcome to the Women's Soccer Coaching Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the challenges and opportunities faced by those who coach in the women's game. We'll hear from our special guest in a moment, but first, this podcast accompanies Women's Soccer Coaching Magazine. The April issue is available to subscribers now and is a youth soccer special. There's a session plan from Man City Women's Foundation phase lead, Carl Wilde. Two coaches in the US and the UK explain how they prepare players for the step up into adult football. There's a feature on the FA's Wildcat scheme and a warning about why early specialisation may not be good for young players. Now, the main interview feature is on Charlotte Healy, the Academy Manager at Manchester United Women, and she's our podcast guest. Charlotte has previously worked at Derby County, Liverpool and Manchester City and is one of just 14 coaches to be selected for the FA's Coaching Excellence Initiative. The others include WSL head coaches like Carla Ward, Tanya Oxterby and Gemma Davis. So she's in good company. She'll tell us more about that at the end, but first, Charlotte talks about her current role at Manchester United. It's split into two, to be honest with you. So there's the academy manager side, which is the strategic side of running an under-21 academy in terms of football and education programme, in terms of holistic support and development, managing stakeholders, uh, and just managing the, the programme and the games programme in general. And then you add into that, obviously, recruitment, exit routes, and then supporting uh, the wider pathway as well. So a big piece at the minute we're doing is a big pathway review in terms of what our pathway will look like from under nines all the way through to the first team. So um, leading on that as well at the minute. And the second part of my role is head coach of the under 21. So putting together short, medium, long term delivery programme for the players in what is a challenging age group because they go from 16 to 21. So you almost have under 17s, 18s, 19s and 20s in there as well. And we've got some youth internationals we've got some senior internationals with Wales in the group so yeah it's managing a, a, a group and a program to make sure that players are getting the, the right challenge that they need and, and a lot of that comes down to the coaching and, and the games program that we can put together for them. You've certainly got a wealth of experience in youth football tell us a little bit about where you've been and what you've done. Yeah um, I've been really lucky to be honest with you I, I grew up in Derby I spent eight years working at uh, their centre of excellence and and got a, a huge amount of experience working at different age groups as an assistant coach, as a head coach, and then went to university and just, I always knew I wanted to work in football, but like any young female coach, I'm clinging on to young still, but like any female coach, you, you grow up not really, there wasn't really a huge amount of opportunities. Certainly working in the men's game wasn't particularly popular. There's no kind of role models that did that back then and there was no real opportunity to work full-time in the women's game so I always knew I wanted to work in football but never really knew what did a degree in sports science and ended up going to Derby Uni graduating and my first job was a job at Manchester FA so just applied for loads of jobs around the country and then a week after starting that full-time role as a football development officer I also applied for a job at Liverpool with their under-17s and that was a real massive move for me and a part of my development that I think looking back was huge for me. I worked with, I was an assistant to a guy who was a fantastic coach. He was brilliant with me in terms of how he supported me. He worked in the boys academy as well. And it really opened my eyes to the level of coaching, the level of detail that he had was certainly fundamental to my development. I spent a couple of years there and then worked as an assistant to Vicky Jepson with the under 23s. So again, you know, that was really my first insight to working in and around the first team I could go and watch first team training sessions and it was the first time I'd been exposed to that Liverpool were back-to-back WSL title holders at the time yeah an unbelievable squad and an unbelievable experience to be around that and 
that was really opened my eyes to what could be opportunities that were out there. So I did a couple of years there and then I was contacted by Man City to lead their under 23 programme. So I'd been at Liverpool for, I think, three years at this point and just a really good opportunity to go and and actually manage the programme myself. It was just a head coach role, so there was no kind of academy manager side. So I spent a year doing that and then, yeah, I got a call from Casey. So I knew Casey from... She was a player at Liverpool at the time and I was obviously assistant coach to the 23s and we were doing our A licence at the same time. So she would come down, but she was down every single week. She was brilliant with the youth players. Um, We had a couple of players who were in and around going to the first team. So she was that link, really. She'd come down and we were both kind of delivering sessions at the same time and in each other's sessions. So that was really how that link was formed. And yeah, she contacted me to say, obviously United had, had reformed the women's team. And in the second year of that, they were you know looking to launch her academy and, and asked me if I would come in and lead the programme. So yeah, here I am now, I think probably, what, 12 years later since I've started coaching. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun along the way, definitely. In that time then, what changes have you noticed in youth coaching and academy best practice over the years? Oh, it's, it's been huge. I go back to my time at Derby County. I was 16, 17. So you know, you're talking 12, 13 years ago and you literally just did two sessions a week. It was just football-based sessions. I remember then there was a real movement and we added one strength and conditioning session in a week. Again, just delivered by tech staff. And so it's when you look at where it is now, it's incredible to look back at how much it's grown. Certainly with the 21s now, I've obviously full time, I've got an assistant coach. We've got a physical performance coach. We've got access to a nutritionist, doctor, analyst, well-being coach. All these things that are you know, incredibly important if you're talking about the well-being of, of young people and also holistic development. So, yeah, the access and the resource and the support now from, from where it was, it's, it's incredible, to be honest. I guess you've got a setup now in England with RTCs where young female players and their parents, of course, see a route through to a professional career, which I guess wouldn't have been the case 10 years ago. Yeah, it's incredibly exciting. I think role models play a huge part in that. I think you have to be able to see it to be able to want to do it. And I know that's really cliched, but I think you look at the the broadcast deal that's gone this week. You look at the good people who are involved in women's football. I think there's some really good role models representing clubs across the country. Yeah, that's really exciting. But And I think it, it, we have this conversation quite a lot in the academies. And it's really important is that you might have two or three players per year, if you're lucky, depending on what club you're at, that go and play first team football and get a contract in your first team. There's been almost a, a changing of the guard and, and a wave of movement across the years. And if you look at certainly the average age of our women's first team, is 25 and a half our academy finished at 21s so we have to be realistic and say there's not going to be a huge amount of players that get a first team contract but they might go to a a championship club they might go to America for four years they might go to a, a different first team and I think we're really keen to make sure as an academy that you know that's how we measure success it's not going to be just players getting a first team contract because ultimately you then fail 95% of, of the people you work with success for us is can we have players populating the WSL and the championship can we have players going on to achieve their career, their dream job and, and their dream career that for us is the part that this academy program has has to play in their lives and ultimately if you come into our academy we want the, the two three four years that you're with with the 21s and your time in the RTC as well to be a positive experience and they will look back and say Manchester United played a real positive role in their life. When you've said to players you're not going to necessarily make it here I presume there's an element of aftercare what processes do you go through 
Yeah, we're really clear and open and honest. And I think that's important. It's obviously that time of year again now when we have to manage expectations. Every under 16 isn't going to, you know, come to the under 21s. Every under 21s isn't going to get a first team contract. So we have to be clear first and foremost. I think the aftercare is really important. We meet with every player and we, we give them the news. I think it's a big thing that we're really keen on making sure that when you leave the RTC, that's a graduation. It's not a release. Every player is released on the 31st of May because they're one year registration. We want to celebrate the time players have in our youth section and graduate them from our youth section rather than it being, you know, deemed that dreaded retain release. Yeah, we'll meet with players, we'll have those discussions and we will provide opportunity and access to our wellbeing coach once a week for every player that isn't isn't offered a place within our under 21s. And then obviously the ones that that move on from the 21s. And then, well, yeah, we'll find clubs as well. The, the 16s find out usually the end of March, start of April. And we, as a Northwest group, the clubs are really good. So the, all the academy, or sorry, all the clubs met like the start of last week and looked at exit routes for players from different clubs. And same with the under 21s in the second year, we told them at Christmas and we make sure that by the end of the season, they've got clubs lined up for the following year. So yeah, that's a huge part of it. You're dealing with people and you're looking after people. You, you, you don't just cut them in and see you later. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't. It's not part of the values of any football club, to be honest. We're certainly speaking for hours, it's not. I know it's early days for you in the academy at Manchester United, but tell us about some of the success stories you've had. There's already been some players with the first team, haven't there? Yeah, we've, we've had a number. So we had a couple last year go on tour with the first team right at the very start. We're really lucky and, and a big pull for me coming to this football club, to be honest, with was one where being able to work with Casey as a head coach who I knew how much she values developing young players. I'd seen that at Liverpool when she was a player. And then the, the second part is that there's, there was already good people in the system. We've got a really good youth section already in place. And you know we wanted to make sure that there's a pathway for those young players to come through and have the opportunity to represent the first team. So we're really lucky that we utilised international breaks really well last year. The 21s and first team were trained together. And we were really keen on making sure that we gave players the right exposure at the right time because... I think Hope Powell came out and said it around Christmas time and I agreed with her that it's not right for every player to be exposed to a first-team environment within the under-21s because they're not ready. And that can be just as detrimental as anything, really. It's really important that we know players, we know what their needs are, we know when they need challenging, we know, you know, we've got two girls up with the first-team at the minute where they've got exams coming up. So one of them we might pull back for a week and just make sure it's been, listen, it's been really challenging this year with COVID bubbles and testing and that's added a whole new layer and, and did more difficulty, to be honest, in doing it. But yeah, we've, we've, we're really fortunate with our players, as I say, go up in the first team, make first team debuts. We had a player last season, she was the first player. So obviously a lot of, there's a lot of alumni in the first team who had come through 10s to 16s and then they'd gone to other clubs. And then obviously when the first team reformed, they came back. But we had our first player who had, she joined the club at 10 years old. She came all the way through the youth section. She then played for the 21s. She's still with us now and made her first team debut. So she was actually the first player to go all the way through, including the 21s. So that was a real, a real nice or real proud day, to be honest, for everyone involved in the pathway. And as I say, yeah, we've had two two more recently as well who've, who've gone up and, and made debuts. So yeah, it's exciting. And I think it puts a really good message down the pathway that if you're good enough, you'll get the opportunity. And I think that's really important that young girls can see that you've got a head coach that really cares about developing young players and you'll be given exposure when the time is right, but also looked after. And it's important, isn't it, to have that incentive for young players, not to fill their heads with too many pipe dreams, but certainly to have them see those role models and know there's a possible route through to the first team. Yeah, it is. And I think we... There's almost kind of like a, a third phase now of players, I think, who are making WSL debuts. I think you look at 
the players Casey signed when she reformed the team in 2018. That team that won the championship, the likes of Ella Toon, Kirsty Hansen, they were really young players. And if we're realistic, are we going to have eight, 17, 18, 19-year-olds consistently playing in our first team? Probably not. You know, that's the reality because, you know, whose shirt are they going to take? They're not going to take Lauren James or Kirsten Heath or, sorry, Tobin Heath or Kristen Press, like the, you know, the, the world-class players. So we have to be realistic. But what we do have to also make sure is that when there is opportunities, like we said, they're there and they're given opportunities for the right reasons, not because you've got 10 players out injured or not because COVID swept through the dressing room and you're missing 10 players. It, it, it has to be because they're ready. You're exposing them to it. They've trained with them. They they can physically meet the demands that they need to meet for training and first team match day. And then when the opportunity is right, they're given minutes on the pitch to go and, and show what they can do. How do you assess the physical capabilities of players stepping up to either under 21 standard or potentially first team standards? Yeah, it's something we've actually spent a lot of time pulling together. And like I said, we were born a little bit upside down in the sense we've had a youth section for a long time, 10 to 16s. We then had a first team in 2018 and then an under 21s form in 2019. We're doing a big piece of work at the minute trying to align the pathway and um, look where the big gaps are because 16s to 21s is massive, 21s to first team is even bigger. We're doing a big piece of work that looks at those gaps, tries to make them a little bit smaller and make sure that the work we're doing up and down the pathway is aligned. And part of that is obviously the performance side in terms of the physical performance and developing young players. Physical performance is probably the easier way to do it because it's benchmarking. So we pick a certain you know battery of tests that we want to think, okay, we need players who are fit, fast and strong and can meet the demands of first team football. So what does that look like in the Champions League, in the Women's Champions League? What does it look like in the Women's Fit, in the WSL? What does it look like in the Women's Internationals? What does it look like for England youth development teams? What does it look like for us at 21s? What does it look like for 16s, 14s, etc.? So we can almost start to say, okay, if you are excellent at this in the under 14s, then you probably average at it at 21s. And just hanging our hat on something to say, this is the benchmarking that we're going to use. And then we can make sure we've actually got a, a piece between 21s and first team that's like a transition piece. So we can say, okay, we might have a real diamonds come through the ranks, but can we make sure that they're hitting that transition piece in terms of physical development? Because, you know, no matter how good you are with the football, you have to be able to meet the demands of the game if you're going to go and play first team football. So there's different things that we're doing, certainly at the 21s, to look at that around. We've played boys teams this year. We've played other academies. We've played Blackburn, who are a women's championship team. We played Sheffield United last night, who are another women's championship team. So it's just exposing the players really to things that that, that were all wider um, experience, if you like, than they would get in terms of if they were to just play under 21 teams. Now, you mentioned boys teams there. How much importance do you place on trying to fix up games with boys teams to improve the physical side of your players? Some people say it's dangerous. Some people say it's a great way to make them learn. What's your view on it? Yeah, I think it's obviously lower down the pathway, the 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 10s, 11s, 12s and 13s actually play against boys. Um, so they play against boys of the same age. I think 10s, 11s, 12s, they're really competitive. I think 13s becomes a bit of a challenge. But again, not a bad thing. And then in terms of 21s, we were really keen and we mix it up that we play against. So we have a, a lads team who train as a site near us and we will play them sometimes on a Saturday morning. Same age as our girls. So it's a real good competitive game. They try to play. So similar styles we can get out. It's a, so they basically play a similar style and obviously quicker than some girls teams that we play against. So in terms of speed of play, we might use it for that. Um, we play against a couple of lads' college teams. 
Um, and they are, I remember, <laughs> I remember organizing one team and they came in and you kind of think, wow, they're huge. That's a, a really good test because they might just hit the ball long and our girls have to deal with that. Or you might play against a team who are a little bit younger, but it might be like a boys academy team. So we, if we're under 21, we're, we're predominantly under 18s. So we might play an under 16 or an under 15 boys academy team. So it's, you have to find the right match. You have to know what you're going after. I wouldn't just pick a boys team out of a hat. We try and make sure that we pick the right team um, that will provide us the challenge that we're trying to get out of the game. Let's talk psychology of being a young player. First of all, there's obviously a lot of competition for places in academies and that can make players place a lot of pressure on themselves. How do you approach that internalised pressure that players feel? What are the mechanisms that they can use and coaches can use to ease those pressures? Yeah, I think there's a couple of parts. I think the first one really importantly is to manage expectations. I think we're really clear from day one. We took a squad of 20 this year. Okay, this season hasn't worked out any, anything like we wanted it to. But we still play by the end of the season. We'll have played 28 games. And we're very clear, look, not every player is going to play every single game. We play academy league teams. We play boys teams. We play women's national league teams. We'll play women's championship teams. And it goes back to the same conversation myself and Casey have every Friday when we meet is that it has to be the right experience for the right player at the right time. So we played Chef United last night. You play your older players because the year threes and year fours, they need to see, are they at that level? It gives Chef United an opportunity to look at some of those players and that we may be moving on at the end of the season. So if you're a first year, yes, you might play. Now, obviously, we did have a couple of first years play last night, but that's not a game that's a priority for you. So first and foremost is managing that expectations. The second part of it is understanding the demands and the stresses that the girls are under. It's a big jump from 16s. They go from predominantly being spoon-fed by parents, if I'm totally honest, under 16s. And we need to be better at at weaning them off that a little bit, I think, at 16s, to then help them with the jump to 21s because they go to college, they might be going to get into Manchester to get transport to our training ground every day. They all of a sudden become very independent. And that brings with it different challenges and the growing up and everything that girls go through at that age, new college, new set of friends, football, life balance, all those things. We're really lucky to have a wellbeing coach who Casey brought in predominantly to work with the first team when they formed in 2018. I mean, she does a lot of work with us now when we launched around mental skills, wellbeing, mental health, sports psychology. They have workshops delivered. They have opportunities to have one-to-one meetings with her and and if needs be we also are able to refer externally if we feel players need you know additional support than than what our well-being coach would normally offer so I think that's at the practical side and then I think from a, a coach's perspective we do a lot of work around the culture and environment of the team and that everybody has a role to play on match day whether you're starting at 11 or you're we call them game changers we want them to come on and change the game or if, if you're not named in the squad, okay, what's your role? You can't just sit on the bench and, and look miserable. You've got an important part to play. So we do a lot of work around what people's roles are on match day and being appreciative that no matter how good you are at maths, you're never going to fit 20 into 11. And that if everybody reacts negatively to not being in that 11, you've got 11 happy people and nine negative, and that's not a good balance for a match day. The February issue of Women's Soccer Coaching had a seven-page special feature on the menstrual cycle. I guess at academy level, that's factored in at different ages for different individuals. The individualization of any plans for young footballers, be it the pathways, the coaching, is tough enough as it is. But when you add personal wellness into that's quite difficult, I imagine. 
Yeah, it is, but it's important that everything you know, we pride ourselves on on developing individuals. No team in in our youth section is ever going to all play for the first team. Players have different challenges and different needs at different times. So whether it's tact, whether it's physical, whether it's psychosocial, we treat everybody as an individual. So in terms of the menstrual cycle, as an example, the girls fill wellness forms in every day. We know how they've slept. We know if they're sore, if they've got an injury, if they're on the period, if it's the first day of the period, and they're more susceptible to injury and then our physical performance coach has does them all individual gym plans warm-up plans everything that they do whether it's pre-act whether it's a gym session or whether it's within the actual warm-up everything is, is individualized and we make sure that things are tracked things are recorded and we have weekly meetings of staff on a Monday a half nine of every Monday and we go through every single player and make sure everyone's on the same page and knows you know what the plan is for each player every single week and that's really important because it means that we can also measure them against themselves and we're not comparing one player to another player it's absolutely not that it's looking at okay player a this is your development plan these are your challenges this is how we're going to measure your development over the next six 12 weeks and yeah it's something that we're really conscious to make sure that players know their individual targets then they're measured individually they're recorded individually and it makes them i think buy into the program more because they know everything that they do is specific to them in their development. A lot of our audience will be grassroots coaches. What sort of abilities and qualities should grassroots coaches be looking out for when it comes to identifying players who could be RTC standard? What makes an RTC player stand out above a very good grassroots player? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it depends on the age group. I think whether you're a grassroots player or an RTC player, you're probably looking at working and developing the same aspects of the game. I think we want players who are technically excellent. Ultimately, if you're going to be a first team player and you're going to play in the top leagues, you are going to have to be technically excellent as the game moves on. So whether it's ball striking, ball manipulation, being able to to dribble and take players on, they're probably three different types of players that you could look at and then I think yeah as the game as, as they move up the age group it's just around consistency do they want to get on the ball are they brave do they want to take players on and certainly for under 21 age group I get sent I'll be honest I get hundreds of emails this time of year a month around people sending in footage of themselves or their daughters or agents and you're watching I'll be you know, if a video is eight minutes long I might get 20 a day so I might flick through and maybe watch a minute of a video so for me it's what, what makes them stand out what have they got what's their x factor and I talk to our players about it all the time is don't just be okay at everything because then you just blend in I think you have to what is it that you're really good at what is it that you're really good at that you do consistently so I know when a player goes up to Casey or a player comes up to me Casey says what can they do I can hang my hat on and say this player when she gets the ball she'll switch the play she can do this consistently. She can play over different ranges and she's consistently excellent. You can hang your hat on it because that's what they can do. I think, yeah, I think that for me would be the key one is is what is the, I hate the saying, but like super strength and, and do it consistently. And are they aware as well of their areas that they're maybe weaker in? Because nobody's good at everything. I was talking to a player about it last week and, and saying to her, she's excellent at, at getting the ball, moving it quickly, switching the play, keeping the tempo and, the, and sustaining the, the pace of the attack. But she gets caught out when she tries to start carrying the ball because that's not her game. So do you understand that and accept that and play to your strengths in a game? Because the higher up the path where you go, that becomes important too. You say you get sent a lot of emails and see a lot of videos. Do you scout at that age as well? So we obviously, there's so many clubs in the Northwest. So we obviously play a lot of other teams. So we will have a look at the different players within the pathway when we play against them, certainly lower down the pathway. The RTC tends to 16s do trials. 
we don't do trials at the 21s um really based on the fact we probably only recruit four or five players a year well to be fair we've recruited six players this year but there'll be a number of those that come through our under 16 so you're probably only really looking at adding maybe two or two or three players so yeah I think we have to be really careful with trials because if you run trials we you get hundreds of people it's not an efficient or effective way of doing it so yeah, we will try and, and make sure that we're being proactive when we're going and looking for players ultimately that are going to play for us, that are going to, you know, hopefully have potential of playing in the top two tiers after a couple of years with us in the academy. And yeah, we'll do our best to bring good players in that will add quality to our team, but also make sure that we have the right balance in that academy team as well. And the final question is for you to blow your own trumpet, really. Tell us about the FA Coaching Excellence Initiative you've been selected for. <laughs> yeah, it was a, an application process. So it's I used to work um, in the coach development team, actually. So I, I knew that it was something that they were putting together. And it was really a little bit similar to what the um, ECAS programme doing the Boys Premier League. And it was to give exposure and development to coaches that you wouldn't get on an A licence or even a pro licence potentially. It was the bridge of the gap between that. So obviously, yeah, there was a couple of, well, Super League Championship managers on there. And obviously Casey was already on a pro licence. So she just said to me, like, you apply for it and we'll back you and hopefully you'll get on it. And, and I did. So it's been, yeah, it's been brilliant to be fair. Firstly, for me, just to be in the same company as some of the coaches on, all of the coaches on the course, to be honest, they're a great group of people first and foremost. And I'd be comfortable picking the phone up to any of them now and asking for support, which I do regularly. So that's been nice in terms of a networking perspective. And then having keynote speakers come on and listening to their experiences in terms of leadership, in terms of management, in terms of managing upwards and, and just things that, yeah, you wouldn't learn on the grass, but are really important as the, the league becomes more professional and you're put in front of the camera more and having more pressure than anybody would normally be used to working in the women's game. Yeah, it's been really exciting. I think it's been difficult with COVID because, you know, most of it has been done virtually, but yeah, it's really exciting to, to be part of and I feel really lucky, to be honest, to be um, in a room with, with those people as well. That was Charlotte Healy, Academy Manager of Manchester United Women. We thank Charlotte for her time and appreciate Manchester United's help as well. Don't forget, the April issue of Women's Soccer Coaching is available now to subscribers, as well as the youth special. We also have articles on goal setting, sleep tips and fun ways to lift morale in the coaches' social. I'm Liv. Thanks for listening.